0: We are in week 10 of our All and Nothing series. All of life has come from him, and all of life must turn to honor him. We're in chapter 3 of Colossians, we're in the middle of chapter 3, and we'll get all the way to our last chapter, chapter 4. Would you stand at your feet with me to honor God's word? Verse 17, verse 17 of Colossians Chapter three, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in. Everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, verse 1 of chapter 4, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God's word. Thank you, all, for being seated as we pray. Father, please add a blessing to the reading of Your Word, and help us to treasure the life that You've given us. All life comes from from You. You've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through Your glorious Son Jesus. We lack nothing, so so help us to turn and honor You with all of the life that in all facets of work and family. Amen. All of life has come from him, and all of life must turn to honor him. I won't say all. That's the theme of the day. Verse 17 of chapter 3, he says and whatever you do that's kind of like all in word or in deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says all things in life need to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and for the honor and pleasure and thankfulness unto God the Father. I love how he draws a relation between Jesus the son And God, the Father, almost like the things that Jesus does on earth, the power that he displays and the work that he does, it's in relationship to God the Father. And he draws a relationship in the coming verses that we're going to dig deep into. He draws a relationship between the work that we do and our position in our hearts before God the Father. You need to know that just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are in perfect triunity, so also your public life and your private devotion should be in perfect unity. All of life has been given by Him, and all of life must turn to honor Him. In all that you do, do all things for the one who's given you all of life. Work. Work is perfect. Perhaps a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. All of work, no matter what you do, it should and can be sacred. A sacred calling that is devoted to the Lord Christ. Now, in this passage that we just read, there is a peculiar Greek word. The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. And there is a word in this passage that's used five times. Uh, it, it goes to, to form the, the word whatever or whatsoever. It helps to form that word. And three times it's translated into the English everything. It literally just means all. The Greek word is pos, Not to be confused with the Latin pas, but which means peace. The pos means each, every, any, all, the whole, all things, everything. Whether you are at home or you're on the job, every, each, all, moment can and should be His. You're always on the clock with Him. All of life has come from Him and all of life must turn to honor Him. He says it again, Start started our passage, whatever you do, all whichever things, is kind of what the Greek word is. all whichever things you do in word or deed, do everything, all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And church, I pray that as God enables us to really dig into the scripture today, it would transform us into to being people who display this thankfulness in word and in deed. My middle school wrestling coach was the great Al Holbert. I'll just tell you straight up, I did not like wrestling practice in middle school. Uh, But I loved getting done with wrestling practice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I did not like being there, but I loved having done it. Coach Holbert taught that we needed to work with fire. He always kept saying, we can do this with fire! And I'm like, I feel fire, but I don't like it. (laughs) I didn't know back then in middle school that he was a Christian. I didn't have eyes to see any of that. I was too focused on my own impurities and my own silliness to care anything about that stuff. And so I went to, a few years later, I went to high school in pursuit of sin. Uh, Just a little bit more sin is what I was looking for. But Jesus had prepared some people... Some young students in a campus ministry in my high school to be in fresh pursuit of sinners like me. And they preached the gospel to me. And my life has never been the same. I became a Jesus follower. Now fast forward to that next year. uh, It was, you know, I'm still young. This was 1998. I was nine months old in my faith, it was June of 1998, I was nine months old in my faith. I was 15 years old in the flesh, but I was acting like a nine-month-old. It was a football fundraiser, it was really hot, and it was really dry in Redmond, Oregon, except where I was. I was in the middle of a pig stall. This pig stall was nasty. I thought I was like the only one, I was the sophomore at this football fundraiser, and I had to be the one that was on shoving pig poop dude. And I was going to go ahead and complain about it. And if you watch the way I work, my work will not there uh, displaying the fact that I was not happy to be shoveling poop in this moment. I'm the only one who has to do this sort of thing until Coach Holder gingerly strides in with his shovel and he starts shoveling like he's doing some sort of weird dance. You see, he'd known that I had become a Christian that year and he didn't want to miss his opportunity to connect with me. He'd been transferred to our high school that year and he wants to come in, he's shoveling that poop, and he stops and says, here's, what are we doing right now? I said, you know, we're shoveling. He says, no, we're worshiping Jesus! I said, Coach, we're shoveling and And then he opens up, all that he had memorized in Colossians chapter 3 that we just read, he says, you're a Christian now. So you don't work for me, you don't work for Coach Walker, you don't work for yourself. All things, you work with fire! Because you're worshiping Jesus. I got to take Coach Holbrook's class those next few years, and I could see that this motive, this Colossians 3 type of work, was something that really embodied his his life. Whether he was shoveling poop, or teaching American history, or parenting, or coaching, all things, everyone say all, Ah. all things were done with fire. I remember he told uh, one of our senior classes one time, he says, it was one of his life goals to have as many different careers as he could possibly have, so that he would never be known by what he did, but by who he was, and how he worked, and for whom he worked. And if you asked him, he'd go ahead and tell you, I work for Jesus. He said he'd never get in trouble if someone had to ask him about it. That was his life motive, that's what drove him and he works and continues to work with fire. All life has come from Jesus, and all life must turn to honor him. Now, he asked me in that pig stall a question that I want to ask you right now. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you you going to school? Are you uh, parenting small children? God bless you. (laughs) Are you uh, working at the bank? Or are you going into the office? My hope is that regardless of any of these various external disguises of what you're really doing, that what you're really doing has a deeper drive and a deeper fire. And if you don't yet have it, that by the end of today, you will have it in the office. So in these next several categories... Paul, since, as we go on from verse 17 to verse 18 and going forward, Paul has specific categories that unpack this whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he gets very specific with different positions. And all of the, the positions he mentions draws on a deeper identity than that position mentioned. And all of them turn to a deeper motive and a, a longer purpose and drive. So here we go. Starts with wives. Wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now you need to know that in Roman culture, it would probably have been more appropriate to say, "Wives, obey your husbands." But here, he doesn't say, "Wives, obey your husbands." He says, "Submit contextually to your husband's servant leadership." Now, saying that doesn't make it any less controversial in our culture. But we need to carefully examine what he's saying, what he's not saying, and don't don't minimize it or change it. Now, we can agree that men and women are different, right? Am I blowing any minds yet? (laughs) If you've ever known a man or a woman or both, you'll you'll know that. That's true. The Bible never once claims, though, that in the difference that women are lesser or men are uh, superior to women. In fact, the Bible says that men don't reflect the image of God. Man and woman united together, humanity in unity, by God, is what reflects the image of God. Only when we're embracing the distinct beauty and strength of the other. And so Roman men ruled their wives as superiors. but Christian men must lead their wives as equals. Christian marriage, it's two equals, and it is one leader. And beyond that, it's two people in mutual submission to one God. Christian marriage is not between a man and a woman. It's between a man, a woman, and their God. And next, notice how how Paul talks about this submission. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So he points her behavior back to something way more fundamental than the earthly relationship. Why does this mean that your husband's leadership might not always be fitting for your respect, but you ultimately don't serve your husband. You serve Jesus. And even when your husband is being a punk, which we tend to do, your position before God remains the same, and your behavior should reflect that. Ephesians 5 doesn't just say uh, as is fitting to the Lord. Ephesians 5 just directly directly says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Our position before God is, should be what's preeminent. Wives, remember this, that when your behavior wasn't fitting for Jesus, he still died to save you. And so you can be secure in Jesus, even as we husbands are struggling to become secure in Jesus too. Amen? Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. i we going to take some time to dig into this too. Man, don't let yourself off the hook too quickly with this. This harshness thing that he's talking about, this, this is us. This is all of us. Now you might say, no, I'm not harsh. Let me, let me disagree with you for a second. Have you ever been grouchy, Ben? Have you ever been irritable? About to say that V word. Have you ever been defensive? <laughs> or have mercy on me? Or demanding? Well, I'm about to get in your business right now. Worse yet, when you're really struggling with your wife, Do you ever just check out? You need to know that what's harsher than loud aggression is passive aggression. And the command that Jesus gives here that's in contrast with do not be harsh is a very active, sacrificial, love your wives. In Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ Loved the church. Now, how did how is that? There was some uh, there was some whipping and tearing open of his back, and there was a, a rusty nail driven through his carpal ligaments into a thorny piece of wood while he hung on a cross for hours and hours and suffocated. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, he's Every one of these categories, he draws back to our position before God. And he's saying, husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with her. Has Jesus ever been harsh with you? Can you love her? Why? Why do you love her? Because you feel good about it? Well, there's maybe some of that, thank God. But what was before that is this, that we love because he first loved us. Husbands, love your wives. And then it says, children, love. I love how it mentions children here. This in ancient times is weird that children are even mentioned. Why are you addressing children? Children are not on the top of the priority list in Jewish culture or in Roman culture, but they're right up center before uh, fathers. They're listed here by Paul because God doesn't forget children in any generation. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases them. Anyone catching me here? You don't have your Bibles out? No. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You see, even when your behavior doesn't bring your parents pleasure, you can bring Jesus pleasure. You don't do things for your parents. It doesn't say, uh, children, obey your parents in in all things because they might pay for all of your college. (laughs) No, it says, obey your parents because God is the one you bring pleasure, pleasure to. It says here that before you are anything else, and this applies to everyone in the room, who you are, first and foremost, is a child of God. So you can be loving and obedient to a parent who doesn't deserve it at all. A parent that's not worthy directly of your love and obedience. And why is this? Because Jesus will never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. And your behavior before your parents is indicative of that before anything else. Your parents might have conceived you, but Jesus predestined you. All of life has come from Him. And all of life must turn to honor Him. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents, we need to know that our job with our children is to lead and discipline them, not to control or provoke them. Each week in our growth groups, every person is asked. When we go to prayer, which we focus on, we, we say everyone needs to have a need and a name, a need to pray for, a need of the people present. So one of my needs And one of the names of the people that we want to be present in the future at that circle. Every growth group, a need and a name. And it's really cool when you get someone praying for one of their needs and they were a name from last week. But everyone has a need and a name. Now every week it seems like my need is my impatience with my kids. And yet because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I can continue to ask God, help me. Help me with my impatience, with my my root of anger and impatience with my kids. I don't want my kids to be discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I want my kids to be encouraged. I don't want my struggle to prohibit their growth. The aim of my parenting is for my kids to be energized to follow Jesus. That in everything that they do, in word or in deed, they do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not to please dad or not to react to dad's impatience. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Verse 22, bondservants obey in all things those who are your earthly masters Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, points back to our fear, our respect, our reverence of God. Now, some versions here say slaves. Slaves obeying all things, your earthly masters. Now, first of all, you need to know that Greek bond service was totally different than Our modern understanding of historical slavery. And yet, the Bible doesn't condone even Greek bond service. And yet, here, Paul doesn't condemn it either. Instead, Paul encourages followers of Jesus to override every oppressive system the way that Jesus did through love and sacrifice that destroys and disarms every power of the earth with sincerity of heart, he says. So let's, let's go ahead and judge ourselves with this whole sincerity thing. If you have a job, I'm going to ask you a personal question. I'm just going to dare you to just be real personal in evaluating yourself. If you have a job, you're a servant, a bond servant of someone, but more so God. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of employee are you? A good one? I hope, especially if your boss knows you're a Christian, I hope that your boss is like, man, if I could just have a few more of him or her, I would make so much money. I hope that's what your boss thinks. That's what they should think by the way you work. If only I could have a few more of them, I would make so much money. I would be, and, and they're compelled to, to, to have what you have because you're the rich one. I hope that you behave in this manner. And if not, you don't have a work problem. You have a God problem. I am a slave. I'm either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And I want to be a good slave. I am am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that my work, like, like Pastor Holbert, just shows that I am happy and I'm doing it with fire, because I belong to Him, and I'm no longer a slave to sin. Bond servants, obey in everything. Your earthly masters, and please God, whatever you do, work heartily. Verse twenty three says, or with fire. As for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Everyone say reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving the one that he mentioned in chapter one that's glorious and preeminent. And he's not only preeminent, but he is the preeminator of life. All of life comes from this person that you're serving. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. God will judge. But what Paul's saying to you is, is, don't worry about that other person. Worry about how you work and for whom you work. And lastly, though the chapter starts a new chapter, Paul completes his admonitions here in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The big point of today, one of the big points is that we all, many of us have various bosses, but we have one master in heaven. And all of us, have something under our uh, uh, responsibility. In our various positions on earth, we might not have bond servants, but we have things and people that we interact with that we are responsible before God for. And so I'm asking you this. Does the way you work show that regardless of what you're a master over, does the way that you work show that you're mastered by the one who died and rose again. Here's what I, I want to pick on my wife who's in the back with the kids right now. She has had an unexpected 11 years. When we got married 11 years ago today, she didn't expect that I would get sick and crippled that next year, and she would have to leave her, uh, the, the beginning of her career with dietetics to serve me and help with ministry. She didn't know that. But she wasn't serving me. She wasn't serving the ministry. She worked. She was sidetracked for a little bit. And we were told that I was going to die and we could never have kids. But then we had kids, like four, really quick. And the doctor started crying, like, you're not supposed to have kids. Yeah, but let's talk about Jesus, okay? And we've had four small kids, and it's been really hard for her. And she's done well. She's struggled well. Why? She's not serving our kids. She's not serving me. She's working heartily for the Lord. And, and she didn't know she would be the kids director this year. It, it was kind of last minute and like an opportunity. And she's doing, I'm, I'm watching her back there. And it, and it kind of sidetracks the now, the, the momentum that she kind of has with dietetics. And she's, she's, she loves what she does. And by the way, her nutrition passion isn't just for eating. She's passionate about food because she wants people to glorify God and how they eat with no shame, with no, none of the junk that sidetracks all of our focus on God. She does it because she loves God and she loves the bodies he's given us. And she's now serving in our kids' church. Sorry to be so scattered there, but she's serving not because she's serving me or serving the church, She's serving Jesus. She loves the church because she loves Jesus. And I'd really love and honor my wife, and I think her example is an example for me and for you. So all of life has come from Jesus. All of life must turn to honor him. All of life has come from him. When we couldn't get to life and God and eternity, when our life failed. We didn't live the life we should have lived. We deserved eternal separation and death. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ and he lived the life that we should have lived. He lived the life we didn't. He deserved life, we deserved death, but instead he chose to trade our life for his death. He not only lived the life that we should have lived, he died the death that we should have died in our place. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and gaining the power to offer life, eternal life to anyone who would turn and receive the gospel. All of life has come from him and all of life must turn to honor him. And before we go any further, I want to just encourage you, don't try to honor Jesus with a life you don't yet have. If you've never been made new by God, don't just try to obey a bunch of rules that you're unable to obey. The glory of the gospel is that we aren't called to to attain life. We're called to die so that He can give us life. We place our faith in the one who gives us life. So don't try to honor Jesus with a life that you have not yet received. If you've never been born again, You've never been made new. You've never had this this godly fire like Coach Holbert talks about. Placed inside of you, right now is a moment. You can simply pray. Right as I'm talking and you're sitting, Romans 8 says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. So you can just say, Jesus, make me new. And right now, He's saving The Holy Spirit is saving All of life, comes from him and all of life must turn to honor him if you've already had life before that moment or if you just received life in this moment what what part of your life must turn to honor him what part of your work must turn to honor him evaluate that think about that if you're a christian in here what's one area of your life that maybe your boss sees or other people see and it's just it's not in unity with your private devotion think about it for a second Evaluate that. Now, as I've said, your your public life should be in unity with your private devotion. And in the Christian faith, there are several key moments of decisive public action. And water baptism is one of them we have four people today who right after our service right out here have decided they want to follow the Lord Jesus with water baptism. And they've decided they're going into the the water and they're going to be baptized. It symbolizes the death of Jesus and the new life and it's actually effectual and powerful in and of itself. It's It's an act of faith. Think about it. Our faith, Jesus did it. He said, repent and be baptized. Think about be baptized. That's like the big thing. Like, our faith, you can't boast much in it. Like, man, I climbed to this mountain or I attained oneness. I, you know, our big public act is I was baptized. What did you do? Oh, well, I, I did nothing. And they, let, they just like dropped me in the water. Good job. No one can boast in this, but it's something that you should obey the Lord in. And so I'm going to ask you, if you have seen Jesus give you new life and you haven't since, follow the Lord Jesus in water baptism maybe you're like me uh, you, you were baptized in like a mass when you were a kid or, or at least put in water in my opinion like, I wasn't baptized I was just kind of put in water before a mass but when a, Jesus changed my life I decided I needed to follow through with water baptism now if that's you you need to to do this too I do not want to put you on display right now but I want to give you a moment right now that you can be brave and decisive right here in public, in church. If that's you, you need to join. If you're, if you're one of the four uh, getting baptized today, can you raise your hand first of all? Praise God. Now, I don't want to put you on display, but if, if you're following Jesus and not me in this, and you're saying, my, God's changed my life, I have not been water baptized, and today's my day. If that's you, you want to do it right now. Would you be so brave right now as to raise your hand? Anyone? I just want to give an opportunity. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Can we all stand to our feet, please? The invitation remains open as long as there's water in that horse trough outside. Now, as we're dismissing, If you're visiting and you have a connections card, that's the best way that we can communicate with you. So please turn that in to the back and we'll continue to communicate with you. We are dismissed. Now, in in about five minutes, right out here, right outside, we're going to baptize some folks. And if you need to get in the water too, the, the invitation remains open. We're dismissed.